0: Is this thing on? I think so. The light's there. All right. Hey everyone, this is Pat. This is Posh. And this is the Founder Hour podcast. We're glad you're here. We have a big episode coming up, but before we get into it, we just wanted to remind you guys to please subscribe. Leave us a rating. And a review. And follow us on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook at The Founder Hour. Thank you guys for being here. Spread the word
1: and enjoy the show.
0: Welcome to the Founder Hour Podcast. This is your co-host, Pat.
1: And I'm Posh.
0: And today we're hanging out with Lavinia Errico founder of Equinox. Thank you for being on the show.
2: Great.
0: Uh, and thanks for having us in your home. Yeah. Um, yeah. Excited to have you on the show and, and talk about your, your journey and, and your you know personal story, kind of mixed with your business story and how all that kind of came together yeah. up until what you're up to now. So um, we always like to start off kind of from the beginning. So tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about where you grew up and what you were like as a kid.
2: Okay, great. Um, so I grew up in Hackensack, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. I am I come from a big Italian family. I'm I have a twin brother, and here's this is where it's really gonna get you. My mom had five kids in two and a half years oh, because she had two sets of twins. Got and it, it was right. myself and my brother Vito there's the Italian name. (laughs) Then my brother Danny is a year younger and then we have two twin sisters a year younger and then a sister a year younger. So we really had six total or six kids. Yeah. And we really had like our own soccer team and (laughs) dodgeball team. So your parents weren't
0: like expecting all these kids in the house and it just kind (laughs) of happened
2: just happened, yeah.
0: <laughs> so um, I guess, so were you, like, where, where in line were you? I'm the-,
2: the first. So oh, my okay. my brother and I are the first. And, um, yeah, and then everybody came after that. And I just, I mean, my mom used to joke and say, I think my kids came out with sneakers on. Because from the minute we were born, it was as if we were very active, you know, sports was a big part of our life growing up. Um, I never, I don't remember us ever like sitting down. I mean, it was like you came home from school, you did your homework as quickly as you can, you went outside to play. Mm. And it was always for us either, you know, we were riding our bike, we were playing dodgeball, we were playing kickball in the front, we were always moving and going. And it was sort of like part of our family culture. Um,
0: where did that come from, though? Like, were you, were your parents or anyone in your family, like athletes, or just like really into, I don't know, exercising, or just no, not
2: or, really. Yeah. I mean, um, no, I think you know, it's your it's your nature and your nurture. Mm. I think it was just our nature that we just by nature were young people that really um, like to be active, and that was a big part of my life. I started dancing very young. Um, probably by four. So movement and expressing myself through movement and being around people—you know, my age—and we were constantly, you know, moving. And and then I remember in fifth grade, I I. Um, <clears throat> It was me and one other boy. We ran the fastest in the school. And that was my first awareness Mm. that, well, like my body. Yeah, like I'm good. Like I could do something a little different. Like prior to that, I didn't really feel that because I had two brothers that were great athletes. But that was my first awareness as a girl that mm-hmm. I was like faster than other girls and I was stronger than other girls and then I just remember in gym class when they used to have those ropes courses and I was oh, yeah. always the first one up to the top and oh you're I, that
1: person yeah I, remember that person. I was that person <laughs> I remember I remember that because I was the last person yeah, yeah. so I always had a great view yeah. of that person oh, <laughs> But hey, yeah. I'd rather sometimes I'd rather lead from behind. So that's how I view <laughs> it's,
2: it. Yeah, it's like yeah. it's to celebrate who you are, sure, right? That's sure. the beauty of it. Is
0: there anything you wanted to be like specifically when you grew up at that time, or were you just sort of just taking it by day by day, and then didn't really have like a set, I guess, vision or goal for what you wanted to do? Ten. I mean, like when you when you're a kid, like everyone wants to be, you know, something. <laughs> no, I so. didn't.
2: I didn't have that. I love yeah. dancing, and I really would say, oh, I want to be a dancer. I want to be a dancer. But I. I love dance and and I I was fortunate enough to dance professionally and the truth of it is is once I started dancing professionally it really took a little bit of the love out Mm. Um, and that's when I sort of pivoted really quickly and said I'm not going to do this as a profession you know it, it was a hobby and or better yet it was the 10 year old that declared that yeah and now I'm like 20 I'm I'm not going to keep that going.
0: <laughs> yeah. I was I actually heard something the other day I was listening to a podcast that was about that kind of topic of, you know, um how following something that you're passionate about might not always be the best thing because oftentimes, you know, something that you think you're passionate about, you start getting deep into the weeds whether it's a class or like an article or something mm-hmm. you're reading and all of a sudden it just feels like work and it's like tedious and it doesn't it's not fun anymore and and I feel like that's kind of what happens
2: with a lot of situations. Well, also it shifts into a different Situation when you're dancing, you know, running home from school and grabbing your shoes and going to dance school and performing with what today would be, I guess, a dance team. Mm -hmm. That's all great. But then once you start getting paid for it, there's just a different energy, there's a different vibe. And for me, I just thought, but I really celebrate what Dance Day did for me because that's why I loved moving my body. That's why I started exercising at a young age because I also wasn't the typical dance body. I wasn't like naturally long and very, very skinny. So I had to start working out probably by 12, Mm -hmm. you know, to to just maintain my weight. Um, So that was kind of interesting. Um, That got me a little bit obsessed quite frankly and mm-hmm. then i went into that place where working out became a bit of an obsession for me mm. um i you know i definitely took it too far um
1: were you still in new jersey at the time
2: i i i was in new jersey and then i went to college out here i went to usc
1: oh, we did too fight and, on oh wow. wow this just made everything so much better <laughs> yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's just made everything so much You don't even know. Wow. I had a fear that you were from UCLA or something. I will
2: tell you though, my son went to UCLA. Could you imagine how challenging was? So that's the that one yeah, thing I we don't, don't talk about on this podcast. I'm like, so that's bang. Yeah. I'm going to have a Bruin in my house. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like- <laughs> um, I'm
1: curious. You know, you talk about how you had this obsession with working out and with dance. And, mm-hmm. you know, you're what, 12 years old. What was that what did that obsession look like? I mean, was it taking over every minute of every day or was it something that you would do after school? what was
2: well when I said the uh, yes I worked i did um I danced every day that was um, for sure um, but the obsession wasn't so much the dance, it became the body image mm. so I definitely got into a situation where I was never thin enough. And that, you know, kind of took me down a, um, you know, a slippery slope for a while on my image. And, you know, I would just remember drinking one of those drinks. I don't even remember what they were called. Mm. They were these like protein drinks you got in a can. And I would have like two of those a day. And I just wanted to be skinnier and skinnier because, again, I was big boned. I didn't have that body type. And this um, is like
0: in your teens like when you're yeah, in your it was in school? my teens
2: and I and then I started working out. This is kind of a story that segues into the whole working out. I was a, a um one of my girlfriends older sister worked at a health spa uh-huh. where we lived and she would sneak us in so that we could Cuz at that
0: age you can't really even get a membership. you had to be 16, yeah. you know.
2: Yeah. So it was like we sneak through the back door, we go in, we work out. And because I was a dancer, I I could um, get the choreography pretty easily. And I would actually go home. And on the days that we didn't go, I would put my sisters who were a little bit younger in the room and say, come on, I'm going to teach you this dance, this class. And they would be like, no, Levin, we don't want to take a fitness class. And I was like, no, I wanted to teach them, you know? So I'd make them do this exercise class. And then one day we go to the spa and they said, I'm sorry, the teacher's not here to teach today. I was 14 years old. Mm. I said, I'll teach it. Mm. And the, the manager was like, you're not even really supposed to be in here, sister. Right. <laughs> like, you're going to teach it? And I was like, like, what do you know how to teach us?" I said, oh, I teach my sisters this every single day. And I got up in front of the class, taught it, and I thought, I love this. Like, I really enjoyed the whole dynamic of yeah. it. And yeah. that's sort of...
1: You know, the issue that you bring up about the body image, and I, we don't have to talk too deeply about it, yeah. but it's it's intriguing because it's something that came up before like even social media where you see a lot more, you know, women having, and I'm sure even men having body image Mm -hmm, issues, mm -hmm. right? How did you kind of get away from that?
2: Well, first of all, I think I had a mom who was very present and she was really there. And I remember when my dance teacher, the first time she sort of, Alluded to the fact that maybe I needed to lose a little weight, mm. and it was really because the costume didn't fit. They would measure us in January, and then when the costumes would come in June, and the costume didn't fit, and she's like, "Lavinia oh, put on weight," and my, and my mom's like, "There's no way she put on that much yeah. weight." And then when my mom measured the costume, she said, "This wasn't made
1: well, all right?" Right,
2: and like, and but that had already gotten in my head. Mm. That Lavinia gained weight, and I, I was at that age where you know, like, you put on a little bit of weight before yeah. you before you grow. So like I could
1: preteen,
0: like, yeah.
2: Uh, so I could feel it's like that not to I mean
0: have too much control over. It. It's not like what you're what you're it eating. It wasn't or what you're not. I was eating. It yeah.
2: certainly right, wasn't it the happens. lack of exercise. Yeah. Talk so about
1: I, nature. That's um, stuff. <laughs> and then,
2: of course, there were just some beautiful dancers in this dance group that right. were all very tall and very lean. And of course, at twelve, I knew that was the desired look for a dancer. Um, so I had already had that in my head and I was already sort of, um, again, like obsessing about it, becoming very careful about what I ate, you know, no carbs, no this. And, and I, um, but my mom would have conversations with me about it. Like she was just right on point with, you know, Lavinia, you just eat healthy. And she would really... Really, kind of meal help meal plan it with me, and it really wasn't about my weight, it was just about making healthy choices. Mm-hmm. Um, so I sort of like did that and then kind of sk- pivoted, skipped through. But I will say, like, when I look back in my 20s, there was always a thread, like, I worked out as hard as I did, and I worked out like a maniac, quite frankly. And it was about having a great body,
0: yeah,
2: you know, because yeah, you always you- think
0: about it. I mean, like, I'm, I'm a, I'm a- gym rat myself and and, and i mean sort of, um uh and but like you just like you know you look internally but also like other people who like constantly every single day are just always you know stuck to that regimen of going to the gym mm-hmm. and not they don't waver nothing gets in the, and mm-hmm. you wonder like the psychology behind it like what is what is really and i think for for people there's different you know one is part of it is the image part of it is this just the health aspect of feeling good and then part of it is men- the mental aspect of you know um it's like something that you can control mm-hmm. right like it's it's something that you're like in competition with yourself constantly mm-hmm. um and I think that all those things together um I think someone said it was um ma- vanity sanity and health um which is which was interesting they couldn't
1: rhyme that third one huh yeah no they couldn't
2: Yeah, but, you know, a lot of times people, first of all, we get so bogged down on this outside identity, and that's not really where joy or happiness really lives. I mean, we know that today, Mm -hmm. that that's not there. It's on a deeper level. Um, Excuse me, but it's not always easy to tell the 22-year-old that. Mm -hmm. You know, so I – and I think it's shifted. I think young people today – they value other things other than just looking great in a little bikini. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I believe there's.
1: Do you mention between the time that you did that class as a you know young lady you're what, 13, 14 years old at mm-hmm, the time? Fourteen. Fourteen years old. What did you do between that time and your twenties when you came to LA?
2: Well, first of all, I came to. I was here, and so that I was went here. To college? No, so I, that was in New Jersey because right. I. When I left, I left after. I graduated high school. Mm -hmm. And then I did start, um, I had a girlfriend who took me to, Jane Fonda had opened up a studio on Robertson and she said, I want you to come with me. I know you will love this. Mm -hmm. And I went with her and it was really expensive for first you know a college student to go to jane fonda but she paid and she's like i want to treat you this it's your birthday gift i think she bought me like five and the truth is i loved it yeah i got in there and i was just like oh my god i love this but then again i was also a dancer so i could like memorize it Mm. and then i got out and i was writing notes and i would literally practice in my dorm room Mm. and then i that's why i think like that entrepreneurial spirit was just inside of me i mean. First of all, I worked at my dad's deli as a kid. My dad had delis in New York City. Because my mom had so many children, there were, like, when we were on spring break, the three older ones were going into the city to go to work with dad. Because to have six kids home Mm -hmm. would have... She would have bad. lost her mind, yeah. Yeah, she would have lost her mind, and everybody would have been on hooks. Yeah.
0: You mentioned you were <laughs> dancing professionally. Like, was it, you, you were doing that throughout high school and college? No, I,
2: I was in a professional group when I was young. And then when I was, my junior year in college, the Rockettes, I don't know if you know the race right so yeah. they came to LA. So I auditioned for the show, and I got in, and I was able to work my classes around that. So I did that, and then afterwards, I stayed here, and um what you know, did you study
0: I did. in college? Uh, Theater
2: Arts and Communication. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I, st- I memorized this class, and the next thing I know, I literally went, I asked one of the custodians, you know where the atrium was? Well, there was this one atrium that was there that was always empty. Mm-hmm. And I always would walk in there and thought, this would be a great place to teach a class. Hmm. So I saw one of the custodians one day, I said, I'd love to teach a class in here. At USC. At USC. I'd love to teach an exercise class. And he was like, sure. So the next thing I know, I had flyers made. I gave them out to all of the sororities. Jane Fonda-like dance class. <laughs> Straight
0: IP. <laughs> no, you know, no, no, no. I mean, <laughs> it it yeah, was just, yeah, let me
2: tell. Jane yeah. Fonda-like dance class <laughs> at the atrium. Donation only. Oh, good. good. Come ready to yeah, move. Yeah. yeah. So the first day, I have about 10 people. And I have my little box and you know what everybody left like five dollars for a college student for an hour class what year is
1: this by the way uh
2: this this had to be like uh 81 okay so then i said to them please invite your friends so the next class i have about 20 people and that class built up to about close to 80 people wow and i would give the custodian you know, 25 dollars, saying thank you.
1: And you're teaching dance or workout no, or dance workout. It was a workout.
2: It was a fitness. It was yeah. basically the Jane Fonda workout. Yeah, yeah. I up, mean, same thing. <laughs> straight up. Yeah. I had my little boombox. Yeah. I had my friend. I'll never forget Jerry Leeds made me my CD for the music, and that was it.
0: Were these days with like the neon colors and all that stuff? Or was
2: <laughs> no, these were like the leg warmers though, oh, okay, and okay. the little right. belts right. and. Uh, yeah. Which and are probably going to
1: make a comeback this year. For yeah, I'm sure. for sure. Everything's so it. 90s, I feel right, it. I feel it. Yeah.
2: Um, so you know what? And I loved, I loved that. Yeah. And then before you know it, there was another gym opening around the corner, and he heard about my class, mm-hmm. the owner, and he's like, "Hey, why don't you come and teach over here?" And so I did. And before you know it, I was just like teaching at all these places. And the truth of it is, I loved it so much. I would have done it for free. Mm-hmm. I just loved it. It just, it, it was a. Uh, first of all. I was making a difference in other people's lives, and there's something in that exchange that, for me, even at a, as a young person, that touched my heart. Mm-hmm.
1: What were the reactions you were getting from these fellow students who were I, coming to class?
2: Oh, people! They loved it. People were like, "Oh my God, this is amazing! I can't believe you're doing this here." Um, yeah, people were really the. The response was amazing, and
0: from like I guess like an industry point of view, like how did it look like at the time? Was it hard to get access to classes like that outside of, you know, USC, I guess, or the college
2: area? um, Or in general, it was just starting. Like things were just picking up. There, like you know, there was Richard Simmons had a studio, and Jane Fonda had her studio, and a lot of the classes were just shifting because before that, I think a lot of the gyms they were more like calisthenics Mm -hmm. they weren't exciting and fun and sexy Mm -hmm. and you know um and so i think there was like things were just starting to to shift a little bit
1: did you view what you were doing as a business or for you was it just like this extracurricular activity i was a
2: college student that loved to do this and the fact that i could make a little bit of extra money Mm -hmm. because quite frankly like i had to come up with all my own spending money in Mm -hmm. college my parents were we'll send you here we're gonna pay for your dorm and all the rest you're gonna have to figure that out yeah which i think is one of the best gifts i ever got because you figure it out yeah Yeah. like you You grow up
1: into yeah (laughs) you know how
2: to uh, make things happen you know
1: Lavinia. at this point did you think that okay this is fun whatever like but is this gonna be my career no
2: i never for a second thought that and then i got out of um I got out of school. Graduate and I was, I graduated. I was pursuing a, um, you know, my acting and a couple of things. I remember my mom taking me out for graduation dinner. She said, I have good news and bad news. What would you like to hear first, Levin? I was like, give me the good news. The good news is I'm going to pay for your health insurance and your car insurance. Well, that's big. Yeah. And the bad news is that's it. <laughs> so Not if, the car. My, no, no, I already had the car. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I actually had to work and earn half of that. Yeah. So I had already bought the car, but- you know my dad pitched in the other half and uh she said but if you want to stay out here in LA sweetheart you're going to have to pay your own rent and everything else because we have other kids in college that you know yeah. and i I got, yeah. I got it
0: or or like rents back then in LA
2: um i remember sharing an apartment and i was paying 750 so it was about a 1500 yeah.
1: not not cheap not yeah, cheap no, like no. you
2: wouldn't go oh my god that's like nothing yeah. um and maybe it was a little less because I was—I always like shared a room with someone, mm, yeah. you know. I wasn't the, the person, it. which was fine. I didn't
1: <laughs> more customers. I mean, I was
2: so <laughs> many. We were so many kids. I mean, that's also another thing that I think um, was n- n- the the nurture of my childhood was that it nurtured us to be adaptable. Mm, yeah. And I think that I call that adaptability my superpower mm-hmm. because I don't know how not to be because right. when you're one of six kids in such a small, you know, amount of years um and the eldest you had to kind of be adapt you had to be able to adapt to everybody
0: yeah and and on that point being like the eldest of six kids was there any pressure like to be like you know um i don't know go into some sort of career path or something that that was like an example to your younger siblings and you know i guess something that would turn out to be like a quote-unquote like success?
2: I never really, I never felt that. I mean, I think my mom was really amazing at saying, I have to treat each one of you differently because each one of you have different gifts, have different greatnesses, have different challenges. So she was really careful about not um, comparing us because in that space that could get, but it was What could be a little daunting is that other people weren't. Mm -hmm. Like I remember somebody saying to one of my sisters, a teacher, well, you're not like Lavinia. Mm -hmm. Lavinia like gets here on time. She's Mm -hmm. prepared. She's." And I mean, my mom went right in there and told that teacher off, don't you ever compare my (laughs) kids to each other. Like everybody's a little different. And she really, for some reason, Mm -hmm. really knew how to sort of handle that Mm -hmm. so that there wasn't this – competition between us or an uncomfortableness or me feeling like oh, i have to set the tone for how this family is mm. gonna i we never had that
1: so after this graduation dinner with your mom and you know the good news bad news yeah you know, obviously i'm assuming you're just like oh shit like i gotta do something
2: right. what, what do you do so i mean the next, what's the next the, step the very next thing i did was i went to bullocks mm. and i don't know if you remember Bullocks. this is like it, pre-nordstrom it like Mace, robinson yeah. yeah so i figured okay let me just go get a job that so that
1: is now the southwestern law school campus if I'm not mistaken.
2: Well, Bullock's, this was the one... The one in LA. No, the the Bullock's I went to was the one on La Cienega. Mm, Okay. Over at the Beverly Center. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I went there and I got a little job. And I think it might have been like my third week there. And a girl who, by the way, is like one of my closest friends to this day, is walking in and she's eating frozen yogurt. And I look at it and I'm like, wow, that looks really good. Mm. And she's like... It is with a really strong, like New Jersey or New York accent, and I'm like, "Where are you from?" She's like, "I'm from New Jersey. Where are you from?" And I said, "I'm from Hackensack," and and she's like, "Oh my god, we're like two anyway." So she goes to him. I guess you're an actress. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like, "Yeah." She's like, "Yeah." Another pretty girl that just (laughs) wants to be an actress or whatever. So she goes, "Why are you working here?" And I'm like, "Well."
1: I needed to get a
2: job. I have to. She's like, sounds
1: straight like out of a movie.
2: But I'm telling you, it really was. And I was, uh, what makes it even um, more interesting is I I was at the Judith Lieber handbags. I don't know if you know these Judith, like, but the, and especially when you're like 23 Mm. years old, these Judith Lieber handbags are about this big and they have, um, they have rhinestones all Mm -hmm, over mm -hmm. them. They look like eggs and they're like $2,500. So as a colleague, like somebody that young, you're thinking, who the hell would carry a bag like that and yeah. no less pay twenty five hundred dollars? Like you know, so here I am. Like they put me at this counter, and here she is. And it was just very funny. She goes, "Why don't you come to work at Carlos and Charlie's, which was a um, a private nightclub?" Yeah. And I said, "Well, I don't really know anybody there." She's like, "I'll hook you up." So the next thing I know, I gave her phone number. She tells me to come in the next day. Come in, you. You, you got a job and my first thought was like oh shit like what do they wear there yeah. i'm just worrying about my like italian father like do they i'm thinking a nightclub i'm gonna yeah. have to wear like
1: mini skirt open min- yeah. Top, yeah, yeah. so
2: i said before i go in i just have to know what are the uniforms she's <laughs> like black tuxedo pants white tuxedo <laughs> shirts a cummerbund and a bow tie i'm like perfect i'll be there
0: <laughs> so what were you doing like what was the so problem? it was
2: cocktail waitressing okay. and honestly, i was not I didn't even, I had never drank. Yeah. I didn't, I, but you know what? You figure it out really yeah. quick. Like you have that, you figure it out. And you know what? I saved, I made so much money. I worked for, you would go in at quarter to nine, at quarter to 10, and I was literally out of there by like two o'clock. And were you doing st-
0: both, like Bullock Store in the day and the no, night?
2: No, I, I, as soon as I started, I was making more in one night cocktail waitressing than I was making an entire. Yeah. Week at Bullocks. So I started doing that. And that's where the fitness thing, where I'd still do a little bit of fitness and that. And then I go on my auditions during the day. And I have a little saying where I say, you know, I might have lo- loved acting, but it didn't really love me. And that I also wasn't the type. Mm. You know, in that day, everything was blonde, blue eyes. Like I go to casting directors and they'd be like, You know, I just, we don't know where we'd put you. You're kind of ethnic. You're not like, you're pretty, but you know you're ethnic but you're not ethnic enough that you could be doing like a jail scene and i mean it was just like i mean like that's why when i see the shift it's like thank you jennifer lopez thank yeah, you yeah, so much yeah. thank you people for yeah. bringing now it's like ethnicity. just all ethnic now yeah. it, right it's yeah, like, like made such yeah. a shift but in yeah. those days beauty was christy brinkley and beauty mm. was cheryl teagues and beauty was these blonde blue-eyed mm. beautiful girls and mm. i was clearly not that look um and then my cousin, who was on Hill Street Blues, lived up the road from me. And a couple times he'd asked me if I would um, go to his house because his assistant wasn't available, or whatever. And could you just go to the house because the Maytag man is coming to clean to do the mm-hmm. whatever yeah. appliance? And after the second time doing that, and then him asking me to do it at a friend of his house, I thought there's a business here. So I started a business um, called Express Errand Service. Those in L.A. that need 28 hours in a day was our slogan. Mm. And, again, I I hired a bunch of beautiful actress friends of mine. And before you know it, we had this great business where we were – this was before Uber and stuff like that. So we were picking up parents at uh, um, LAX Mm -hmm. and driving them to, you know, different places and, you know, waiting for people when their rugs were getting cleaned and – and it really turned out to be a, a, a fun and lucrative. And it made me realize, like, I'm good at this. Like, I'm good at turning these little nothings and an idea into something.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And then it was time I had just gotten out of a serious relationship. And I thought to myself, okay, if I stay in LA right now, I'm going to end up living here, getting married, and being so far from my family. Mm-hmm. And I just couldn't envision my life being really separated like that.
0: And how old are you at this point? At that point I
2: was like 25. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going back to New York. Mm -hmm. So I went back to New York and I ended up getting in the executive program with Lancome. And I love that. And even with that, it just sort of, I had an idea for something and the next thing you know, they're like, yeah, let's try it. And it worked. So I just was very entrepreneurial by nature. It was my nature. Did you ever have like
0: any issues like I guess like reporting to somebody or working for somebody? or Was that never like a a thing?
2: Oh yes, I was terrible. Like I, people would say she ruffles so many feathers. Like I just remember my old boss at Lancome. There were two. Like one was my direct report, who was this really very sweet woman, Carol West. And then there was Dick Roderick, who was the president or the vice president of sales. And Carol would be like, Dick, like she goes into a store and she just ruffles feathers like crazy. Yeah. And he was like, I know, but she's really good at what she does. Yeah. And her, my heart was in it. Yeah. Like it just bothered me when I would get in one of these stores and they weren't prepared for us. Yeah, It was like, how do you expect us to... Increase your business 30% for this week if we don't have anything to, s- the stuff that we sell. Mm-hmm. So then I would pick up the phone and I would call corporate and I would say, I just throw them all under the bus.
0: <laughs> and for those, I guess for those listening who don't, maybe don't know what uh, Long Home is, could you explain like what kind of business they're in?
2: Long Home is a cosmetic mm-hmm. um, Make it's a there. big they're one of the big threes still, it's yeah, like up there. Yeah. oh yeah it's like lancome estee lauder yeah. and clinique are yeah. usually the big threes in the in the huge yeah. stores so i know and i love that i loved what i was doing and then that's kind of where i learned okay you know maybe i just need to learn how to work with people a little bit better, have a little bit more tolerance.
1: More tactical, maybe?
2: Yeah, a little more tactical. So then I would say, okay, so two weeks before we would go into their store, I would stop in and say, we're going to be here in two weeks. I just want to make sure these are the products that we really like. Where, you know, some of the other people would have just go in there and really wouldn't care. Mm -hmm. Like some of the people on our team, I don't think they really cared if they hit 30%. I cared. Like that was just who I was. I competed against myself of, if we're going to walk into this store and we're, we're going to, I want to blow the numbers out. I don't want to just do 30%. I want to do 80% well, why, why do you think
1: that is? I mean, I, I know you were built that way, but like, what about that gave you so much satisfaction?
2: You know, I don't know if you can really put your finger on like what that burning fire is inside of you. I, maybe I do do, I mean, afterwards, because then I had this huge epiphany after we sold, and yeah, I realized yeah. that it was also on some level something missing inside of me that I always had to prove my worth.
1: What do you think that was, though?
2: What was the... Missing, um,
1: the missing piece?
2: Um, Well, I think it was a lot of things. I think it's a lot of your just your conditioning. Mm. I think it's a lot of your family of origin. Mm. I mean, I don't want to get too spiritual, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I do also think that sometimes it's past, mm-hmm. li- past lineages that... Just bring that mm-hmm. lack of of real spirit confidence, mm-hmm. like that spiritual confidence that mm-hmm. you have that you don't have to prove. Like I don't have to, I mean, I, I now work with so many people that I mentor and I can't tell you how many young women, it's as if like they, if they do not get into their first choice law school, they just will not be able to face their parents. Yeah. And that's where so much of the drive was. I never really felt like I had that, but I did have a lot of drive to be successful. Mm-hmm. You know, I just had that drive. And so when I would work with other people that didn't have that level of drive, um
1: it just didn't make sense.
2: Yeah, it, it really bothered me. I it, wasn't yeah. tolerant of that. It sounds like
0: obviously there's a lot of situations where people get that pressure, I guess or like that bug from external powers, but in your case it was more internal. Like it was a it was a competition with yourself. And is that something that you think could be I guess learned or and trained and built, or is it something that again, it just it's just something you're born with?
2: No, I think that they, you can have mastery in that. I think you know when you have clarity, when you set your goals, when you really understand also the genesis of why you want to do something. You know, again, because so much today is for outside approval. That's not healthy. Mm-hmm. You know, there's nothing healthy about constantly needing that, needing to walk in a room and people go, wow, you're yeah, gorgeous. that
1: external validation. Yeah,
2: that that it, it just doesn't, it's not healthy. Mm-hmm. But I do think that, um, yeah, as long as you can connect someone to something that is really meaningful to them. Like that's always as a mentor, and I mentor so many young women now, it's really helping them get down to that deep something.
1: Mm. Lavinia, you talk about how you did all these different things after when you graduated college, where did the working out part of things, you know, did that just kind of drop out? Was that in the no, I, back burner? I mean, what for was me
2: working out, it has always remained. It's, mm.
0: It's a lifestyle thing. It's, it's a lifestyle. It's life. the same
2: way you know. It's, yeah. a, it's a hygiene. Like I have physical hygiene. I have mental hygiene. I have spiritual hygiene. I look at it at th- in that way. Mm. I don't put it on the pedestal. It's just something I'm going to do. But
1: you I'm, were you doing the classes still?
2: Um, no, but I was taking. So once I started working for Lancôme, I was could, could afford to join a really nice mm-hmm. gym mm-hmm. and I joined uh, the vertical club and st- you know, started going there. Mm -hmm. And then we were at a couple other Jeff Martin studio and, and then, yeah. And and I think at that point with us was we really still felt, my brothers and I, like there was something really missing in New York City,
1: Mm -hmm.
2: um, because there wasn't a great, there wasn't a great place where people could just really go and have, have it all, Uh you know, um, So that really became sort of a discussion we started having. Um, I'd like to think we weren't complaining about it, but I think at one point it was a little bit of a complaint. Like, dang, why doesn't somebody open up a great club? Like we all would love to go and work out. You know, we weren't the people that went to happy hour. You know, you have to realize at that time, happy hour was – people left work and everybody went to happy hour. Happy hour all over New York City Mm -hmm. was huge. And that wasn't who we were. That wasn't our – or elk. We didn't have that. We weren't those kind of young people. So for us, it was like, we wanted to go to a gym. Like that was social. That to us was like, but none of the gyms had all the elements. Like you said, why can't somebody open a gym that's like has great lighting and Mm -hmm. is sexy and is hot and has good looking people, but has great weights and also has great classes and has all the things that we wanted. So after, you know, complaining a little bit, I think we finally all looked at each other and it's like, why don't we do it?
0: Mm. And what were you? What were your brothers doing at the time?
2: Construction. They okay. were doing, they started a construction business.
1: Did you have any idea what it took or what it would take at that point to be the one opening that gym or to open that club for that matter? Or like what went into it and equipment and running that business i mean did you have any idea or was it just like you know
2: where the beauty was for us was each there were three of us Mm -hmm. we each had a different Mm lane, and we were good at that lane. you know when our talents aligned with the what the the business needed and and so my one brother danny um was all about the 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 um real estate he just into this day, he's still, I would call him like a real estate guru. Amazing at that. So he, even young, he had this really, he had a pulse for really good real estate and he was really good at raising money. And my other brother was really, I mean, even young, he was a craftsman. He could make the most beautiful furniture at a very young age. Um, in high school, he would spend so much of his time really making gorgeous furniture. He's mm-hmm. very passionate about that. So him creating the design and working with the architects and the building and, and really, um, and then for me, it was the fitness component of it. I think it was fitness. And then, cause I'd been with Lancôme a couple years now, I really understood, um, how to, how to create teams like I understood the sales end of it Mm. and
0: what goes into building yeah and I you know I worked
2: there so I was privy to a lot what that went on in branding and marketing I don't Mm. think they called it branding then, but it was more like marketing and advertising so um yeah I it it just all all of our skill sets Mm -hmm. worked out it was like the perfect storm to have something really magical happen what
0: was that initial vision like was it sort of let's just have a location, one location, yeah, and let's make this the most badass gym you could find. And that, that was kind of the extent of it, or it, did you think further no, out? No,
2: we didn't think further out. We were really – we opened up one on the Upper West Side because that's where we lived and that's where we were complaining. Somebody needs – and we opened that up, and it was profitable before we even opened. <laughs> I mean, because everybody was in the same boat on the Upper west side of Manhattan. There was just really only a, there was a very, ring, well, first of all, there was a horrible jack o Lane that you wouldn't even want to go, go mm-hmm. into. Then there was a really great um, studio, um, but you wanted more than classes. So if you were going to do other things and then there was like a, just a kind of a dirty gym mm-hmm. down in the basement somewhere. And that was really all there yeah. was on the Upper West Side. So um, but the thing that was so startling to us was that people were coming from all over Manhattan. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember um, JF Kennedy coming up on his rollerblades, rolling up, you know, rollerblading up from downtown. And all of a sudden, people were just coming from all over to work out at Equinox. How so, did they
1: find out about it?
2: You know, we were written up pretty quickly in New York Magazine. So we had a pretty good write-up mm-hmm. in New York Magazine. And the word just traveled. I mean, first of all, I think we opened up a club that people wanted, that young, hip, I guess today they they'd call them the millennials, right? Like yeah. That they wanted it. All the elements. It was hot. It was sexy. It, it just, it was thought Spoke out well. Them, yeah. It just, yeah, it inspired people. Yeah. It was like, wow, I would not go to happy hour for here. Yeah. Right. (laughs) You know, like it was. You were competing with
0: happy hour. You weren't competing with other gyms. We weren't
2: competing with other gyms. We were really competing with happy hour. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and then, and all of a sudden it just, it was the, again, we, the, every detail was thought out from the lighting to the music to where the aerobics room was Mm -hmm. so that the aerobics, the energy in that room fed all the energy in the weight training room. And, you know, the the locker rooms. And, you know, another thing, it was impeccably clean. Mm. I mean, for years we would have surveys. We would get surveys back from our clients and i can't tell you like we would be thinking like we're so innovative in all of our fitness we're so innovative we have wellness centers we have spas we have this we have that and they would write i love this gym it's so clean it's cleaner (laughs) than my own shower and i'm thinking like dang all the shit that we're doing and this is what we're getting (laughs) notice for the cleanliness and that wasn't that was just
0: something that you you guys believed like had to be done right just like Yeah, I mean, (laughs) you
2: have to have a gym that's really clean because otherwise it's funky and people are going to get diseases and skin crap and you know we need to make sure that everything's clean like it wasn't
1: how long did it take for that initial location how long did it take to get it up and running i mean there's a lot that goes into that especially well we had already
2: had opened one other gym up in uh, westchester county
1: this is before equinox or Mm -hmm.
2: yeah it was our first gym um so we kind of got our feet wet there Mm -hmm. and at the time we were all keeping our day jobs so i was actually keeping my at, at that point, I had left Lancôme. I had gotten off our amazing, um with a fragrance company who was actually owned by Herb Albert. Mm-hmm. So I was working with them. I was the head of the whole East Coast. Mm-hmm. And my brothers were doing construction. So with, with this first club, it was like, okay, we're just going to keep doing what we do during the day, and we'll figure this out. Mm-hmm. It just sort of landed. Um, and we thought, all right, let's try it. It's not a huge investment.
0: And and even though to that, be honest, yeah. like
2: if if I remember correctly, our investors were practically like loan sharks. Like th- nobody was giving you money in those right. days. So the guy that that gave giving us money it was like thirty percent on the dollar.
0: <laughs> and and how much like h- at this point you guys are well, you're in your like late twenties, I'm assuming. Yeah. Um how much money did you need to to start this first gym off?
2: Um I mean i think we got into the first gym for a couple hundred thousand because it was already an existing gym mm. that we just no. had to renovate and we leased down all the equipment so you lease the equipment you um
1: how difficult i know you said that people you guys were profitable before even opening up after that initial kind of you know surge in customers and people what was the team like? You and your brothers. What were you guys talking about at that point? You know, you get all these reactions from people. The cleanliness. People love it. Are you guys at, at all surprised as to what you have created at that moment? I
2: don't. I don't. Th- I don't think we were surprised. I think we. I don't remember us being surprised. I mean, I remember. I do remember us being. Just really, we. I mean, we would walk in that gym in the morning, running. We were so excited. We just loved what we did. We we loved it. We loved... It wasn't a thing... That I mean, from the people to the energy to the programming—I mean, like we just loved it—and because of that, we worked really, really hard. Like, and were you
1: involved at that level, like with the programming and like the classes? I was doing
2: everything. I wasn't teaching at that point. I sort of was like, you know what? We're in New York City. There's some of the best instructors in the world. People are coming in from all over. Like, it wasn't about me being a teacher. Mm. Um, and. Yeah. So it, uh, we were, yeah. I mean, I remember sitting there having the auditions, auditioning all these people and, um, you know, everything, the front desk staff and hiring your fir- your first front desk staff and training them. And, you know, my brother used to say, we're not a halfway house Lavinia. But because I, the sad of their story, I hired them. <laughs> it was just, it was like, like where my heart was, yeah. you know what I mean? This is early
1: nineties, right? When yeah, this was, like, uh, this was
2: like this uh, was like eighty nine.
1: Eighty nine, and that was officially Equinox, or this was the first gym. Um,
2: the official Equinox, I believe, was eighty nine, okay. September twenty third. We opened up on the the. Yes, it was recently the thirtieth anniversary, yeah. right? Yeah.
1: When does it the conversations continue about? Actually, before that, what point do you leave your day job to do? No, this as full soon time? as
2: we opened up Equinox, as soon as actually. As soon as we started talking about doing this gym in the city, that's when it was like, "All right, now it's time to let so we all, all that." Yeah, then it was. You like- had
0: seen some initial traction with that other gym, and you were like, "We need to open up in the city."
2: Mm-hmm. And yeah, where we did the name that. come and, from? Excuse me. Where did the name come from? The name. Well, we kind of had this group of friends that we would um, all get mm. together with, and you know who was working and different areas of marketing and advertising and so forth. And we would invite everybody up to my brother's apartments and we would give, everybody got free Chinese food and we would just sit around talk about names. So we were coming up with all these names. Then my brother Vito and his girlfriend, but wife today, went up to the Equinox in uh, Manchester, um, Connecticut, or Lenox. Lenox, Connecticut, there was an Equinox there and they came to like Equinox what? It was an Equinox Hotel. Okay. okay. And they came back and they were like, oh, we went to this place, Equinox. And I think at that point I was like, Equinox, like, that's a great name. And then we started playing around yeah. with that and what that meant and the Equinox. And of course, I love the whole idea about the whole connection to the earth yeah. and what it meant. And I mean, it was a very spiritual right, for sure. day and name and and that's kind of, that happened. And then, um, yeah, we were very lucky. Like, even with the guy that came by to do our, helped us with our branding, this guy Gordon Pennington. And we would, I would come in from Westchester and we would, my brothers and I would go and get lunch together. And then we would sit on the, uh, on the stoop. in this, this is where our, off, our first offices were, offices were. And I'm telling you, I'm sure that that was not legit you shouldn't have even been in there. It was just like in the bottom of a building that even when you walk down the stairs, you feel like, okay, is this stable? (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And so we would have lunch. And after a few days, Gordon would come by and he would, then finally he came by and he's like, who are you guys? I'm like, what are you at? I don't know. I see you guys on the stoop and you, you look so cool and you look great. And it feels like something's going on here. And we started talking and he was like, I said, yeah, we're creating this gym and tell me about it. And we're telling him a little bit about it. We we hadn't finalized the name yet, but we were. And he's like, you know, I was just brought in by Tommy Hilfiger to, to rebrand him. Mm. I want to work with you guys. I was like, we have no money like we have immediately no, no that was always my yeah, g- yeah, yeah. just so you know
1: oh, oh you, oh, you want to help us yeah we have zero dollars so. I just <laughs> yeah. always said that yeah, to yeah, everyone yeah, though like
2: yeah. I, I just want you to know we have no money like not zero like yeah. we are broke anyways like he goes you know what we'll figure it out we'll barter and that was like my first yeah. realization of barter because after that we bartered everything <laughs> I mean there, there wasn't a thing I'm not even sure if that's legal but there wasn't a thing that we didn't barter yeah, no, it's like,
1: legal, for sure legal. <laughs> no. we'll give you two years membership you can do our we, entire marketing <laughs>
2: <laughs> right and so um and but how magical is that like the guy yeah. that they bring in from LA and he sees us and look well, I'll do your marketing yeah branding and then it was just and that was really how you know when the stars are just so aligned and I don't I I think the stars were aligned, but I think our frequency was also high, Mm -hmm. you know, like we were attracting, we were in our, you know, we were in our lane, we were in where we were supposed to be. Like, like it was just divine order for us to be doing what we were doing, you know? Um,
1: I know Pat asked earlier about, you know, the plans about, you know, was it just this one thing or was it this bigger vision? At what point were you starting to have discussions with your brothers about, you know, we have to do this in other places. Like, this is clearly very successful. Right. How do we replicate it?
2: Well, I think it just, it, I, so much really happened. Like, you're in it, you're doing it, you're showing up, you're learning what you need to learn. You're, you know, and it's like the next door just kind of opens. Like, mm-hmm. at that point, Danny's like, we need to um, open up downtown. Full disclosure. Anything beyond 57th Street in those days was not my jam.
0: Yeah.
2: Like, I was an Upper West Side girl. Like, I just, the thought of being down that way, I was just like, and then when he said 19th Street, I was like, 19th Street? Like, who goes beyond 23rd Street? I, mean, I was I just- I didn't know that existed. I was just like, really? And he's like, no, you don't understand. Like, that's why my brother had like such a pulse on, yeah. on real the state, real estate. Yeah. And he's like, no, Livin, I'm telling you- and and
0: what about it was it though was it like a combination of oh it's affordable but also like there's gonna be foot traffic like, no my brother
2: stuff. just knew that that area was gonna blow up yeah like yeah. he knew that that flat iron what was district, it called though flat, yeah. flat yeah. iron flat yeah, iron yeah, yeah. but he knew because really it, there was nothing there yeah, i'm telling yeah, yeah. you when we went down there there was abc carpets and that is it yeah it was not a hip place right. like like fifth avenue was nothing like mm. the the stores that were on there or like i think the only decent one was um Bath Body. uh, What is that? Bath Bath,
1: and Body Works? Bath and Body something. Bath and Beyond? No,
2: not Bath and Beyond, but it was (laughs) like a... It was this... They had one uh, not far from us um, um, either. It was just like they had... They sell soaps and creams and whatever. But that was like the only decent store Mm. down on Fifth Avenue. Everything else was just... And at really this hard point,
0: to. as you're expanding, um, is it you're just like uh, um, basically taking the money that you're making and self investing it back Pretty into the Pretty much. Business? I mean, when we, no, we sold no our company, investors?
2: we owned 100% of the, the company. Got it. So and you, we owned just you, a lot of the real estate as so well. So you
0: got the loans initially, you paid them off, and then yeah. you're just like self-funding.
2: Exactly. and yeah.
1: So you opened at the Flatiron District. So we
2: opened at the Flatiron District. This is a really fun story. So we, we rented it with an option to buy. Hmm. And so... And it was a beautiful, it was a, it was a landmark building. It was the original Lord and Taylor. I mean, the building was just like, I walked in there, I was like, oh my God, everything about it was just so beautiful and the, the finishes. And so we get that, we get that building. And then I think, I don't remember if we had three years to buy it or whatever. So now we're going to buy it. And my father comes to every one of us. You cannot personally sign on that building. And I'm like, okay, dad, okay, dad. And he's like, no, Livia, I want you to really listen to me. You cannot. Your brother Danny is going to tell you that you're going to, you know, personally guarantee. I don't want you to personally guarantee that you could lose everything. But, you know, like I was like 33 years old or 32 years old. Like you're not thinking like that. I don't oh, yeah. know. I don't know if I was just young and stupid or just, you know, I had faith. You just didn't like, know any better. I didn't know any better. And yeah. it was like when my brother came and he said, here, you you know, mm. sign, you signed. and. Again, it was like you know, and then that building turned out to be you know years later. I mean, that building is the goldmine. <laughs> was really it showing
0: is. that much promise at this point? Where you you had no, I guess, did you have any worries like no. that this wouldn't work out? No, it, you knew like it was just happening. It,
2: it happened, and and what what else was happening? Like even internally, like people don't really under, know all the things. Like I mean, we had that business for almost fourteen years, but because from the time you start creating it and the vision and then you get it out. But we had built like seven or eight brands inside of it because what happened was all of a sudden personal training when we started was only for the, like the only people that personal trained were professional athletes and celebrities. And And that was it. The average person, even the CEO of companies didn't personal train in that day. It was not, it was, that was not normal. And Mm. and our thought was, because when we would go skiing, and we were all skiers, we would take lessons. And that's how we got really good. And I remember us having this conversation like, and then I remember taking an instructor, even when I didn't have a lot of money. But I would take the instructor out for the day because that was money well spent to me. I wasn't necessarily the girl that needed to have the, fabulous handbag and all that but when i go skiing i want to have my instructor right. so we were just sort of bouncing that around like if we created something that was affordable personal training that was affordable we really believed people would personal train and then we created this whole personal training program that mm-hmm. was affordable and it was tears mm-hmm. and like that it took off so now all of a sudden we need trainers <laughs> mm-hmm. they weren't trainers i mean trust me in the beginning it was just like so we had to create a whole equinox fitness training institute which was a certification to be able to have really good people it on like the before floor.
1: nasm or whatever those programs were called um, they
2: were just kind of starting right. but nobody was really doing it right. honestly it I was mean, just very um wasn't very
1: commonplace
2: no and also in those days being a trainer was like you're, you went home and you told your mom you're going to be a trainer. She's like, loser. Like, it was not <laughs> like a prestigious... How much money can you possibly make? Well, no, it, it was yeah. like any lost kid
1: yeah. became a trainer. Yeah.
2: you know. And I really believe we were the ones that totally changed that story about a trainer. Sure. You yeah. know, And it also became like, it, we legitimized that you can really make money, you can be successful. You. I mean, when you really think about it, and this is what we thought about, is like, to us, trainers were preventing you from going to a doctor. You know, I mean, when you think about it, our, their job is to keep you healthy.
1: Preventative care. It's
2: really preventative. And that was what we instilled. And that was the message. And that was the programming that went into our Equinox Fitness Training Institute. We didn't just have other trainers up there. I mean, we brought people in from all over the world to train these trainers. I mean, we really set the bar so high. And even in those days, for somebody to go from level one to level three, years ago, that took like three years to get to be a level three trainer. Yeah. You know, because when we're going to say, and we're going to endorse you as a level three trainer, we know not only is your training impeccable, but the way you care for people, your attention to detail, the way you, you're in it with them, you're focusing with them. You're not like, looking around. Like it really was um, special.
0: And you mentioned um, affordability and and obviously a lot of um, folks as Equinox grew, um, you know, and it's become a, you know, more so like a premium um, gym and and an upscale gym that um, probably not everyone can afford. um, But was that the goal from day one was we're going to kind of come into the market here at, you know, kind of a a higher price, but more to give and more to provide holistically?
2: Yeah. I mean, we knew that we wanted, it wasn't about price. Yeah, It was about giving a great product. You know, we never really thought about the price until all of a sudden we had to go back and say, okay, to give all of this, this is how much it's costing us. So we're going to have to adjust the pricing for that. You know, we never went after it. It was never, honestly, it was never about money for us. It was mm-hmm. really about changing people's lives. Mm-hmm. You know, we were really very committed on that. You know, we even created this wellness center, which the, the negative mail I got from people, I can't believe you're involved in this quackery. You know, but that was like 19... 95 when we opened that. And it was uh, chiropractic, acupuncture, homeopathy, naturopath. We even did colonics. We had, you know, all different types of modalities Mm -hmm. in there. Cranial but sacral. it was, and the reason
0: I mentioned that is because it wasn't something that people were used to, and 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 the, you, you like you mentioned, there were like the really expensive like trainers that not everyone can afford, and then there was like the, kind of just the lower level gyms where you know it was very just cheap, like didn't really provide a lot for you. Mm-hmm. Um, was it difficult to just to, to get people to to see that value initially bef- before they even had a chance to check like? You know, experience? not
2: really, because it's a happening. Like we were all on the floor training with trainers, and then our friends were all on the floor training with trainers. Like you know, when you walk into a place and it's like, man, this thing is happening. Yeah, you see all these people training and moving and going and breathing and doing. It's like I want that. Mm. Like so what those you, like, people that's tell why, other
0: people was just like a word oh, of mouth thing. I
2: am. It was all word of mouth. It was all word of mouth. You know. Because it was really exciting. You know, mm. this was something new. We were trailblazing a whole new thing that right. people had never experienced right. before. So all of a sudden, and even the classes to come in and, you know, have a class and you walked in and the lighting was just perfect and the sound was perfect and you were on these neoshock floors that were bouncing so you weren't getting shin splints. Mm. And, you know, it was just, it wasn't, it it was and the vibe and the yeah. energy, and like I, it was just, it was special. It was really a whole new, it was a whole new everything for the industry.
1: I mean, there's no doubt that you had so much fun doing this. And I know you mentioned you did this for, or you guys did this for 14 years. Yeah. And just because we're curious about, you know, life after Equinox as right. well, what, tell us a little bit about the, Acquisition or like exiting, you know, from Equinox.
2: Well, prior to even us selling, um, I remember there was some talk at one point and it was just too premature. And then there was even like, I remember us going out with a couple of different people to look at different gyms because they yeah. would, wanted to do an acquisition. And I remember my brother Danny and I went and I just looked, I'm like, do you really think we could work for these people? Yeah, like. It's just not going to work, you know? So then we kind of put that to the side and just like kept- you thought
0: doing. you would still stick, stay with the company after- Well, we
2: after. knew, um, well, in the beginning, like when we were maybe five years in, six yeah. years in, people were starting to come right. to talk to us right. about- buying us and then we would stay on and right. be able... I remember at one point, my brother was like, you know, we could get like $10 million off the <laughs> table and each one of us would get $3 million and that's a lot of money, Lavinia, and I'm thinking... But again, like I was never motivated about money. I don't know why. I mean, I don't know if, I don't feel like I was ignorant about it, but mm-hmm. I never worried about money. Like it yeah. wasn't something I worried about. I didn't have this scarcity or fear around money. I have it around other things. I don't have it around money. Yeah. So... um. It was just like, no, that's ridiculous. And then all of a sudden, when it started getting real, like all of a sudden, and also we got to a point where I think, you know, I don't remember if there were like 10, 11 gyms, clubs, you know, plus we had, you know, I had the medi spas and I had the regular spas and I had the wellness centers. This is all in New York still? Yeah, it was all in New York. We had, we were just getting ready to sign leases out here. Okay. Um, my brother had already been negotiating, like the one in, The ones in Pasadena. Well, that one we uh, we had done that, and then uh, doing the one in Beverly Hills, and yeah, so we we were part of that negotiation, like starting to branch out. Anyway, um, but yeah, that came a point where it was just like it was. You could feel that it had changed. You know, um, when it starts getting so big like Mm -hmm. that, you know, it's no longer. about really inspiring the people that you're working with. Before you know it, these meetings turned into like P&L meetings. I, that's yeah. just not, I'm not going to sit around. Like that doesn't inspire me. I'm not, I I like creating new programming. I like creating all that. And before you know it, the the, the scale started to change a little bit. And
0: did your brothers um, feel the same way Yeah, too? I
2: think we all yeah. felt the same way. And also it was, um, I just remember thinking like, I just, this is not sustainable mm-hmm. like i can't do all of these marketing right. pr new programming the fitness the sales i mean it right. was just like and we didn't really have we had junior people under us and i mean very junior but i remember thinking like if we don't sell this company i am hiring you know, a CEO. Well, not just that. I was hiring in each area. Like we have to have a VP of this and a VP of marketing, a VP, of, because I, the, we were just yeah. spread so thin. And you I
0: think, sorry, did you have a pretty a big aggressive um, like expansion plan at that point? Like, was it like you had all these cities planned out already, or were you just kind of taking it one one club at a time? Well, we
2: knew LA was going to be. We knew LA the was market. the yeah. next market for sure.
1: And I think that you know, although. A lot of the founders that we sit down with, a lot of them get to that point. I think it's worthy to note that it's probably a great thing when your business gets to that point on a business level. It's amazing. Right. Like a lot of businesses don't get to that point where right. the fun is almost taken out of it as a founder. Right. But again, I think self awareness of that as a you know founding mm-hmm. team is very important to realize, look, just because we were able to build this business and start it doesn't mean we're the right people to take, take- it to the next level because that's just not what we want to do. You can learn it, but the cost of learning it might be too great to actually create a great company.
2: No, my heart clearly was not aligned with that. Like I just didn't have that. I, um, no.
1: So at what point were you guys ready? So
2: then at one point, I think it just, it all sort of came together. I don't remember exactly what the genesis of it was, but it was sort of like somebody came to us and was like, you know, I think it's really time. And people were talking about. I mean, we got to the point where we were doing these um, different uh, things for marketing, and they bring focus keep, yeah focus groups, and it was like, oh, I think they're owned by Nike. So you <coughs> know, they, there was already a perception out yeah. there that we were so much bigger than just like a family-run business right. because the branding was really amazing. I mean, everything was really so on point. But then, um, yeah, I think it just sort of. Started happening, and the next thing you know, Bear Stearns, people that were working with us, and I'm sure you know, going through that is it's between the forensic accountants and the this and the that, and everybody going through all of this, and my the brother a- the
0: acquisition process, mm-hmm.
2: yeah, yeah, the, it's it's it it's can tough. be daunting, and I remember my brother right. Danny coming into me. This was probably about three weeks before we closed. I just want you to know there's something on the table right now, Lavinia, that this deal could go south. Like I just want you to know that. And I just looked at him and I said I want you to know this deals already done. So I want you to just feel so confident that this deals done. Whatever they're going to put on the table, we're going to be able to work through that.
0: Were you were you um you guys going out and seeking buyers or did someone approach you at this time?
2: No, we well f- the people that approached us, we we sat down and we went through that exercise, but it never it wasn't You know what? I think when that happens, it puts a spark in you that, you know what, maybe we should do our due diligence and go out there and see out there when you have Mm. what you're really worth. Because when somebody comes to you, they're kind of creating it in their perspective. Of course. So, you know, um, and that kind of got my brother Danny, especially since he was more the finance slash... Mm. real estate like i think we should really take this out to the market and see what equinox is really worth
1: this whole time and i've been th- trying to th- think to myself and I, th- the question i really want to ask is even though it was three of you was the mm-hmm. fact that you were the big sister like their older sister did that play a role i mean no. did they listen more to you as well, first a result of, all, I of that i have a
2: twin brother yeah. so we were both the same yeah. age so yeah. that yeah. wasn't you play that yeah, part. no <laughs> no not not at all i mean i think the thing that was so amazing about the three of us together is whatever our lane was, nobody... Like there were some things Danny and I would cross over Mm -hmm. in, like in fitness. He would uh, uh, cross over, like he was creating the the Equinox Fitness Training Institute. Like he took that on. Um, So we'd cross over a little bit. Um, And also he has a different approach. Like Danny's approach would be like He wants to sit down and talk about a hundred ways this thing could not work. And that wasn't my style. Like my style was, I don't want to sit here and beat this dead showing how it's not going to work. Like, let's just pilot it and try it. If this person is really excited about it, let them do it. Like, so we had different styles, but, but in truth, it was great because he grounded me. I got, I got so excited in everyone's enthusiasm for a new program or a new product or a new something, but that costs money to do that. Mm. So he was the one that kind of helped, like, I think who we were together was always amazing. So we, each one of us, like I said, had our expertise and I think it's where the magic was. I always say that I don't think either we could have done it without each other, Right? you know, it was, it was real. And even to build the culture. Mm-hmm. Because one of the things about Equinox, it was such a strong culture right. because we were family first. So when we went, would walk into a meeting and I'd say, hey, Dan, had what'd you do last night? And then the other people would walk in and before, you know what? Everybody would be, get, become related. We were like a family. Mm-hmm. Like I remember when there was a gym that was trying to steal some of our people when they were open up. And I ran into the guy year, years later at one of the conventions. He said to me, I could never figure out what you were giving your people, and I'm like, "What do you mean?" He goes, "Because I offered some of your people double of what you were paying them, and they wouldn't leave." And he goes, "What did you do?" I said, "I cared about them. I listened to them. I mean, I can't tell you how many, you know, some of my maintenance people. This one woman in particular, she really wanted her daughter to go to college, mm-hmm. and, and I." had them come to my house and I helped them fill out the applications and I helped her write her essay for college. And I mean, that's what Equinox was like. That's how we cared about people.
0: You mentioned the word related. I know. I was literally about to say the same thing. (laughs) Uh, So obviously we know um, the related companies um, was the company that acquired Equinox. mm -hmm. Um, uh, Did, I guess when that happened, what, what, I mean, explain to us like what you and your brothers, I guess you specifically felt going through that.
2: I can't really speak for them because I think they had a little bit of a different um, reaction. But for me, and like I said, that was a a real tedious year
1: Mm -hmm. of of, 2006.
2: No, well, well, we actually sold the first time we sold 2001. Okay. But, um, and then we held on to a big part and then we sold again to Related. But, um, and we were going through this process. And again, like we were just three people from New Jersey that grew up in a very middle class, you know, humble situation. And all of a sudden, like this amount of money, we're just thinking like, I thought every day was going to feel like 4th of July. You know, that feeling when you see like fireworks for the first time and that elation you Mm. feel and your heart's feeling like that, or the first time you're on a roller coaster and you're like, yeah, that rush that rush I really thought once I would never have to worry about money again <clears throat> I never have to, my son would never have to worry about money I just thought every day was just gonna feel this feeling of, of joy and a bliss and I was gonna
0: wake up and immediately like yeah, day. yeah.
2: <laughs> love my life love my life I just thought every day was gonna be that yeah and then I close. and um, it was like around December 17th and we all go to Tripriani's with our Big group of 50 or 60 friends and, you know. um, Your treat. Today I call them, uh, today I'm realizing that these were like agenda friends. You know how like the friends that you just are networking with, they were all your, pretty much your, we, I help you, you help me. Well, that's this table. And which is, it is what it is, right? And everybody's walking up to me and they're like, oh my God, Lavinia, can you believe it? Can you believe it? And I'm thinking like, you know, it just hasn't hit me yet it just hasn't hit me yet. And the next day comes and we go to equinox and now it's like cuz a lot of the people didn't know. And now we have to go in there and clean out our desks and mm-hmm. say goodbye and that takes about we do that till right up until Christmas. And then I remember Christmas was the the gifts were very generous that year. And we all go on vacation cuz I uh, had a house in Playa del Carmen. Mm. And I think my one brother came down with me with his family and my other brother went somewhere else. And, you know, we have three sisters that we were close with too. And also they owned the stores. So they were partners with us in in just the Equinox. They were called energy wear stores. So we come back January 3rd. My son goes to school January 4th. I take him to school. And I remember leaving school and thinking, what am I going to do with myself? Like it was the first moment I hadn't put one thought into that moment of right then and there on what I was going to do.
0: The way the deal was designed, you weren't going to stay on. No. They were going to buy you. And we, by the
2: way, we wanted it that way. Okay. So we, yes, we, anybody that was talking to us about staying on, we were like, we're going to close that chapter. We're going to get all our money off the table. And we're going to do it that way.
0: Did you? Uh, there was this. I, I, I'm assuming like you had this obviously connection with Equinox that was like it's your baby. Like you, yeah, birthed that.
2: it. It was my birthday. Was it
0: hard letting that go?
2: Well, you like know why did I, you, why
0: didn't you want to be continue to be a part of it?
2: Um, because I think on some level you just think it's freedom.
0: Yeah. Like
2: oh my god, then I can go create. What I could go just like I don't mm. know. Like you know. Isn't that the dream? Like, yeah. people, if somebody says to you, Oh my God, you're going to be able to retire at 41 years old and never have to worry about money 100%. again. I mean, Undoubt.
0: there's more to life, basically, <laughs> than. Yeah, and yeah, that's yeah. what I thought. But yeah.
2: I got into actually the darkest stage in my life yeah. because I kept waiting for that feeling, even if it was just the feeling of not just the money, but the satisfaction that we created this. Like, oh my God, like we did this and I'm not feeling anything, not feeling anything. I go to, the, I'm working out at Equinox a little bit and trying not to. And then all of a sudden, like, I kept waiting for that feeling and that feeling. And I remember thinking, and you can't tell anybody. Like, who are you going to tell? Your friends? Like, oh, Mm -hmm. sorry, honey. Why don't you go to Chanel and buy yourself a bunch of clothes? Go on a little shopping spree. Yeah, they're not going to feel
1: bad for you. Nobody's
2: feeling bad for you. I didn't want to feel bad for myself. Like, there was never anything ever about me that was um, depressed. Or I was, like, always that girl. Like, I could rally. I don't care. If 3 o'clock in the morning somebody comes and wakes me up, I'm like, yeah, let's go. Like, And all of a sudden now I'm heavy and I realized I've never been so lost. I've never been so depressed. I never been, I didn't know who I was. And then that started my spiritual journey of like, okay. And I had already had been doing some spiritual work prior to that. So I didn't expect this. I kind of thought I worked through this stuff, but I realized that. And that's why I love doing what I do now is because you have to, even when you're doing the Equinox or, or whatever somebody's brand is, you got to take time to connect to yourself. You know, like I realized I wasn't sitting around with the girls anymore who I could take my mask off with and just hang out. I had a, all my friends were kind of like, she's Lavinia from Equinox. She owns Equinox and they're the health and beauty editors or you're this and you're that. Like we were all tragically hip together, Like That's not where life is. Life is when you could sit with those people and be like the vulnerable Lavinia, the scared Lavinia, like where I'm sharing that my relationship isn't going so great and I'm scared because I don't feel like I'm a good enough mom and Mm -hmm. like that authentic sharing. And I realized like I didn't have that in my life, like I hadn't taken the time along the way when I was building this brand to get in touch with that part of me like who am I really like the I am in my well, when soul it's so
0: busy it's like it's um, it's not something you're probably thinking about right like you're just kind of yeah. going with the flow and you're you're so right. head fo- you know focused on building this business out that's doing so well and it's so promising where
2: and it's also so aligned with me yeah like it was so aligned with me and it was like, But it was your you, life yeah, yeah it was totally my life
1: but you know touching on what Pat said like you know I'm curious, what are your thoughts now that, you know, you've done this and you've gone through that, how should someone in that position of grinding it out, working all the time, constantly, you know, is in this kind of like artificial world that, you know, we kind of live in, especially with social media, how does one take time to kind of take a step back, whether it's be alone or be around people to really think about their true identity because it seemed like what you were going through was this identity crisis like you really did not know where you were right
2: because every my identity was everything outside of me right it was like there was it wasn't me and that's what I see happening today in the world like you know it's people think that their identity is the school the college they graduated mm-hmm. from or the area code or how much money they have in the bank or where they're where the founder or what boards they're on or that's not your identity mm. like you know it's to take time to connect to that and you know last week I was speaking at the Congressional club in DC and it was the topic was wellness in 2020 and um, you know I, I talked a lot about, that I really believe we're on a tipping point to a whole new vision of wellness. And I said, but before I can talk to you about the tipping point, I have to like, sort of remind you on where we've been in the wellness world and what everything has come to us saying like, this is wellness. And, you know, I go right into the whole thing about water. You know, I remember the first time I saw somebody walking down the street in New York City carrying a bottle of Evian water and (laughs) that big bottle. And then she opened it up and stopped popping. I'm like, wow, that's weird. Because in those days we were drinking like little Dixie cups, like Mm -hmm. nobody was talking about water. Mm -hmm. So then all of a sudden information came, hydrate, hydrate. You need to drink at least your Half of your weight in ounces of water. But then it wasn't just w- water. It was what kind of water. And, you know, over the years, we went from drinking spring water to drinking alkaline, infused, to drinking now. alkaline, <laughs> to drinking structured, and now Tom Brady's telling us we need to drink deuterium-depleted water. Whatever
1: Tom Brady says, I do.
2: Okay, good. So now you're going to drink deuterium-depleted <laughs> yeah, 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 water. Yeah, yeah. So there's all everything about water. and Now it's like, you know, we're every, everybody in any office you go in, everybody's got their big liter of stainless steel water thing, you know, and then it was like sleep telling us about sleep mm. and you need to have eight hours sleep. And, and, but this amount of REM slip and this amount of theta sleep, and this is the kind of bed you need to sleep on. And, and, you know, and underneath your bed, you need to put a, a, bl- a, a grounding blanket and over you, you need this. And these are the vitamins you need to take to have a good night's sleep. And then you're going to wear this, you know, this thing that's going to tell you exactly what kind of sleep you had. And yeah. that's wellness. You know, and then they go into the food and how we ricocheted all over the place with food. And yes, we started with low fat and then they tell us high fat and then they tell us vegan and then vegetarian and then caveman and paleo. (laughs) And one minute coffee's bad for you, butter's bad for you, but now we mix them together and we have something healthy.
1: Bulletproof coffee.
2: (laughs) So it's all gets so confusing. And then there's where we were with exercise. So, you know, when we started Equinox, it was basically where was that you had to have an equal amount of cardio, resistance training and flexibility training. Mm-hmm. Then it morphed into no, we need high intensity training. You need to have your fast twitch muscle fibers, your slow twitch muscle fibers. You know, and then it's like cycling. Okay, there's indoor cycling and then there's spinning and now there's a party on a on a bike and people are screaming and twirling their heads back and yeah. forth and that's you know which is now an equinox (laughs)
0: company soul cycle yeah
2: and then it's like yoga okay but there's ashtanga and there's hatha and there's hot yoga where you're doing doing yoga in 150 you know 105 degree room and you know and then it's like pilates
1: inundation of every i mean there's just so much
2: and people are still not fit right and people are still not healthy because what we've realized is that and i was the poster child trust me at 30 years old i was the poster child of fitness i was working out like a maniac. I was in amazing shape. My resting heart rate was 55. My combined cholesterol was 140 with not to my- Not
0: you're running a, a gym. HDL
2: <laughs> being over, you know. And then I jumped out of bed and fell flat on my face and ended up in Lenox Hill Hospital. And it's like, wait a minute. If I'm not healthy, what is health? Right. And that was really that That started my exploration of what mm. is health. Mm. And that was when I really realized. And, you know, the thing was, is like this was freaking 30 years ago when I got out there saying health is you have to be spiritually healthy, mentally healthy, emotionally healthy, Mm -hmm. and physically healthy. And that hasn't really completely held on. Like people are still not embracing that. They're still thinking the magic pill, the food, the this. You know, wearing these monitors that everybody's wearing, and they're putting so much attention, and they're causing so much stress to get their ten thousand miles, uh, ten thousand steps. steps in, but they're missing other huge things. Right. Um. So you know, and it was interesting because a couple of weeks ago, I was with a, a young man who's the um, he's the director of the health care or the health lab, the innovation lab at Stanford. And when I was listening to him talk about what they're working on, it was exactly my speech because mm-hmm. they're working on how the mind, the mind, how important the mind is in healing up there. So it's like until, but nobody's talking about that because nobody's really figured out how to mm-hmm. make money out of it yet because sure. it's all somehow based on money. But that's really where it is. It's, well, that's, it's, the,
0: that's the tough <clears throat> thing about business you know is is that if it doesn't make money then how do you have a business but there's right. so many issues whether it's <clears throat> personal issues societal issues environmental issues right. that you know unfortunately like if there isn't a clear business model a lot of money isn't put, being put into it for research right. and development and creating right. businesses but i mean as a, as humanity we got to figure something out because right. otherwise that's why you know. like
2: with me like you know, pivoting into like my inside out movement, it's really that. It's letting people realize you can keep doing all those things that you're doing and you can keep going there and doing this and doing this and buying that pill and doing this. And that's not real where Mm. real deep wellness, everlasting wellness lives. It doesn't live there. It, It actually lives right between your head and the connection between your heart and being able to connect to yourself through the course of the day. Mm -hmm. Being able to connect for, it doesn't have to be a long thing. It's about being, it's about awakened. It's about consciousness, Mm -hmm. you know? So before you do something to get in touch with, okay, why am I going to have this milkshake? If you decide to have it after you're connected to why, I'm aware that this is filling an emotional hole right now. But to be able to understand why you're doing it and you do it consciously, and I'm still going to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's a different connection. Without feeling
1: guilty about it or anything. No,
2: without. because that's, guilt's not a good thing either. Right. You know, you have to, it's, I tell people all the time, your life is the choices yet you've made. Now, sometimes I'm going to choose to do something that I know isn't from necessarily from my highest good in every area, but you know what? I want to do that. I'm going to mm-hmm. do it. And I'll deal with the consequences, meaning tomorrow maybe I'll work out a little bit harder or I'll I'll fast tomorrow. It's kind of like the
0: cheat day in fitness. Like, you know, I'll, oh, sorry, cheat meal. Uh. I'll have a cheat meal and then I'll get back to my thing and it's not that big of a deal. It's not that serious. Right.
2: You don't go back and beat yourself up yeah. for it. Or if you're going to make that phone call when you're not clear on what the intention is. Like mm-hmm. I tell my young people, before you pick up the phone and call somebody, say, what is my intention of this call?
0: Right. You're obviously very passionate about this topic. Do you see yourself starting a business ever again? Or is it something that you're, you more so want to be kind of a thought leader on and, and, and empower other people to? Um, yeah.
2: Full disclosure, I don't really want to start another business. <laughs> like, I don't. And I've been putting it out there. Like, I always say that I'm, I have, I've because I work on myself so hard that I do have a certain frequency and a vibration. Mm -hmm. And I kept waiting like, okay, I'm just going to put that out there. I'm going to do what I do. I'm very fortunate that I get to speak at so many amazing venues and events. And even the last year I've been paid very well for doing that. And at some point that business partner is going to show up and is going to be the business partner wanting to do the business end of it. So um, that hasn't shown up exactly like that. So now I'm like, okay, I am so passionate about this. And I do want to curate other people because there's some amazing mind work out there that people are doing. But most of these um, therapists or life coaches, they're in a room every day from 8 o'clock in the morning until 8 o'clock at night. They're not building a platform on Facebook. They are not building a platform. They're getting people results Mm -hmm. every single day day. Um, so what I would love to do, and that's what, you know, Lisa and I are doing is that we are helping curate these people so that we can create some online programming so that when I do do these talks or things like this, then people can go online and know that if I'm putting my stamp of approval on it, no different than on a fitness class, that it, it has value That it has merits. Because there's a lot Mm. of stuff out there that honestly is, um, it feels good. I call Mm. it like spiritual tourism Mm. or, you know, when it might be a nice experience, but it doesn't really get you Mm. the the transformation that Mm. we want. Because we want to get clarity. Like to have a life that really is liberated and you have to be able to illuminate some of the things that we don't want to see, you know, um... So that we can connect to really our, our true essence, our heart, and not connect to all the things that are either from our conditioning from our youth or conditioning from society and conditioning of what, okay, what does having it all really look like? Mm. So I see all these young women, especially, like trying to have it all. And it's daunting to me, like, you know, like where's the heart in it, mm. you know?
0: Well, I think if you wrote a book, it'd be pretty cool.
2: That's on (laughs) Uh, the list too.
1: Fourteen years removed from, you know, running this just behemoth of a business and, you know, finding yourself, you know, what do you see as kind of the next steps beyond just even, you know, business or, you know, mindfulness, mindfulness and spirituality? How do you see, you know, the rest of your career looking like?
2: You know, I'm just starting what I call the third act of my life. And I've really put a lot of thought into the energy of that. I'm, you know, how I even want to celebrate the beginning. And I'm going away with about 30 women and to a little island that's very um, low key, Mm -hmm. not too glitzy. There'll be no makeup, no jewelry, no hoopla, but just a place to really connect. So for me, I'm really about connection. Like really connecting to myself, connecting to communities, connecting to people that want to hear what I want to talk about, what I'm passionate about. Um, I don't really have like a hardcore business plan um, because I don't know, fortunately enough, I don't really need to make a living yeah. in that way. And and I like I said, I wasn't inspired of that. When I didn't have money mm-hmm. and I didn't have a certain level of freedom, I'm certainly not going to be inspired by that today. But what I am inspired by is bringing some of these people to to people that I know can help them um, create more inner peace, more consciousness, make people realize that they can control their thoughts, their words, their feelings, their actions, their attitude with tools to be able to do that um, because that's living a more conscious life. You mm. know, I watch people all the time. They're like, oh, Lavinia, I meditate, I meditate. And I'm like, that's great. But then I see the way that they, Live. the way they connect or they have disconnect, the way they treat people. I tell so much by going um, even just for coffee with someone, the yeah. way they talk to the, Person behind the counter, the way they connect with people next to them, how quickly they get angry or impatient at something, and it's like, "Honey, you don't need to meditate. Work on this."
0: Yeah, I always thought it'd be pretty cool. Like at at some point, you know, down the line, where each person it was like affordable and and sort of democratized, um, where you know each person had some sort of like holistic. Coach, like someone that can like look at every aspect of their life and really help them, because mm-hmm. sometimes it's like you know you get to a point where I don't know, not not, not that it's too, not that it's like you, like the, a lot of damage has been done, and if you can <laughs> more so like a preventative thing, like right. from a younger age, have that, I think that would be pretty cool. Obviously, it's something that
2: I mean, I think it would be, be great if it was implemented right into the schools at a young age. Could 100%. you imagine if we had like a life skills class, but not a real life skills? where they were talking about these kind of things mm. for people. Um I mean I think that would change right from people who are young to be able right. to have these and then they have these same life skill classes that they offer the parents because you can't, you know, everybody has to evolve together. Yeah. Um
1: Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think education also is something that I've thought about was on the healthcare aspect as well, is Mm -hmm. how do you integrate that into healthcare? Because, you know, I think in our society, at least in the United States, we're focused a lot on the physical health, right? Yeah, And getting all these blood tests done and all these scans done. Those are things that, you know, we know we could see your annual checkup, Right. But, you know, we've both, you know, experienced people that, you know, have had you know, issues and that have ended their lives, et cetera, et cetera, that we would have never known what they were going through because mm-hmm. you can, no scan, no blood test is going to see that, exactly. right? So how can we as a society, you know, knowing these things that occur, occur so regularly, how do we play a role in affecting some sort of change and having some sort of impact on both the educational and healthcare level, essentially meaning ultimately, you know, changing the way government really runs, you know, in this right. country. So I think that's something that hopefully in the 2020s, you know, I'm curious to see your thoughts on, hopefully that's something that we're talking about and actually doing more than yes. just talking about it.
2: Because I think, especially now in our country with all the mental health issues, and I don't really know how much is nature or nurture, if it's like, if that person really does have Both, it in probably, the brain. Or, yeah. yeah, and I do think that there's such an opportunity to be able to um, help people, um, to be able to see things a little bit differently, to connect to their feelings, you know, to their fears. I mean, I watch this all the time with people. They say, I'm a terrible manifester. I don't know why I can't manifest. And, and they're doing all the right things. Like if you were coaching them as a business coach, all their boxes would be checked. But the truth is the energy and the vibration, they're still living in fear and scarcity. You can't be that energy of fear and scarcity, scarcity, and create that great manifestation. It, it doesn't go. It's a different vibration. Mm-hmm. You know, when people will sometimes be like, "But it's true." I mean, when you are, uh, when you are not constantly in fear, that fear is such a low vibration. It's one of the lowest. Energy vibrations that you can have, and that's why I say to people, like, connect to your heart, like, just connect to your heart. You know, it sounds I know people sometimes think it sounds a little soft touch, Mm -hmm. but you know what? I really believe Equinox, the magic was in the soft touch, right? Like that guy who said, How I'm offering them double of what you're paying, and they're Mm -hmm. not leaving Mm -hmm. because they feel they've been heard, they've been listened to, they care, yeah, like there's been a heart, there was a heart there in creating that business. And I think that's what a lot of companies don't have.
1: But how do you, I mean, just to kind of discuss the fear thing, how, how do you overcome that? Right? Like if you're someone who's grown up in, you know, let's say a family that has never seen any sort of money, has always struggled, you know, you're really like struggling to make ends meet. And right. for you, you know, you, you're entrepreneurial. You want to do all these things. Like you have these ideas in your head, but you always think to yourself, but I, how am I going to do it? Like how, 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 is that going to be possible if i can't live or what happens if for some reason i fail and yeah. i don't it, it doesn't manifest the way i want it to right so like that's a legitimate fear how does one look past that or maybe even embrace it i don't know
2: because sometimes you just have to focus on what it is you're doing in this present moment like just in this present moment i'm working you know not everyone is going to be millionaire or it feels like these young people all want to be billionaires not even millionaires that doesn't mean that for me isn't what success is and you know i tell a lot of people when i'm mentoring them i cannot help you become a millionaire like that is really out of my control unless i was going to invest in your company even then there's no you Mm -hmm. know but because part of it is just like the same thing with equinox like who would have ever known You know, you don't know. That's why, like, you have to shift from fear to faith. When you can shift, like, from fear to faith, like, I just have faith that it's all in divine order. I know it starts sounding a little weird, and it's all going to work out the way it's supposed to work out. I mean, it's just, it's an energetic shift that you have from fear to faith. Now, with faith, you've got to do your work. You have to make sure that you're, yeah. you know, you can't just an let it be. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I love when people say like, mm. or oh, they they're dreaming. Like, there's a difference between yeah. a dream and a fantasy. Mm. Like, you know, how many boys who are five foot two and want to be an NFL, <laughs> I mean, a <laughs> NBA player that, like, that's a fantasy. Yeah. So you have to make sure that everything is in check that. And then you just have to do it and, and, and really do it with your heart and you're connected and you're excited and, and you're inspiring people and motivating them. I mean, when I think about like when we would sit, sit down and, you know, talk about individual investors, like they would take these meetings and think like, I am not giving these three a penny. Like, I'm just not giving them any money. I don't believe in the gym business. I'm not, but... It was our energy and our enthusiasm and our excitement and yeah. that by the end they were like calling up three of their friends saying, oh, we need to, we, we need to all come and invest in this. You know, that, that's what it yeah. takes. You have to like inspire people. But how can you inspire people if your energy is flat?
0: Like if you yourself don't believe that you could do it, why would anyone else believe?
2: Sometimes it isn't even that you can do it. Because I don't know if we thought all the time that we could do it, yeah. but we be- we were so passionate about what we were doing. Yeah. It wasn't like, oh, we could be successful. Mm-hmm. We weren't thinking about the end goal. Like we were thinking about so many, they come in, they get results, they're happy, they're working out, they're people that... You know, and then we're just keep on explaining what we do and not the final thing of the success. Do you know what I mean? There's so much, like, so many times I see this with young people all the time. Like, they spend so much time in the money, the money, the money, the money, and their brands are mediocre. And I'm thinking, like, your brands are just mediocre, but you're spending so much time, the money, the money, and the evaluation, how much money, like... Why don't you put a little bit of energy on getting that product better? Like, And, and how is this product going to actually change someone's life? Because that's entrepreneurial to me, that this product is going to actually change someone's life. You can get people excited about that, but half the time, the products are mediocre and the, all the hoopla is on evaluation and money and how much, And I, I, I like, it's... Mm-hmm. there's such an, an incongruency there for me
0: yeah definitely I mean one of the one of the patterns we've seen with a lot of the folks we've talked to on the show is you know at the moment you don't really know what the future is going to look like when you're building out what you're building but you're so focused on putting the best product or service or whatever might be out there that it just kind of ends up working out at the end of the day because you did all the best you could do to, again, like make a difference in whoever's yeah. lives you're making a difference. In, so.
2: And then also like for the people who are just going to go and have a job somewhere, like to go and... You know, I know everybody the best, the buzzword is like, show up in the best version of yourself, right? But I believe that there's a shift. Like, it's not showing up in the best version of yourself, it's showing up in the authentic version. But you got to get down to that authentic version because so often, and I do believe that there is a big shift on that. Like, I believe that people are starting to realize, thank you to Brene Brown and Esther Perel and um, you know, Dr. Shafali, these amazing people that are out there talking about this, like that we have to get in touch with that. And, you know, we, we've also learned that everything sh- has shifted drastically. You know, years ago, people got so much, even from their church, mm-hmm. like that's where they got their hope. That's where they got fulfillment. They don't right. get that anymore. People aren't going to church like that. Definitely so not. they're getting it. They're actually looking to their work for that. So they're looking for the leadership to, to create that, Mm. that space where people really feel connected. They connected to hope. So going in there. And again, I feel like that's what we did at Equinox because again, the people that came to work at gyms weren't in, in that time, weren't like, oh, this, they were almost feeling like, I have nothing. I don't know what else I'll do. Yeah. You know, I mean, it started shifting about five years in, but in the beginning it was that, you know, um, but what we did was we were so excited about what we were doing and all of a sudden, even the cleaning girls who were just like the maintenance team, at first like always feeling like, I'm a maid, I'm a maid. And Six months into it, they were like, I work at Equinox. Like, yeah. you could see, yeah. like, they would walk down their street with their maintenance shirt on and yep. so proud. It totally shifted who they were as human beings. Yeah. I know when they walked in their house at night, they were a whole different person than the maid. Yeah. Because, like, it was that excitement and enthusiasm in, in the culture. And I would say to them, like, ladies, or men, whatever you guys are, such a big part of this success here. When people write, I would show them the surveys. Look, they always comment about how amazing, yeah. how clean the club is. Yeah. Do you know the way you change their, You change their whole life.
0: One hundred percent. And like you mentioned, like I love that you bring that up because, um, like the church, you know, uh, kind of shifting towards you're you're off you know where you work it's you know people as human beings like crave that community obviously and, and you want you want people that you can uh th- that you know are there for you and 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 love you like like and are and, and want the best for you but if you're not getting that and you're at work like 90 percent of your day you have to get it somewhere right and 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 it seems like a lot of, like that that it's fundamentally broken in terms of how these corporations operate when it comes to the people
2: yeah. oh it, it's 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 painstaking to me. Like I just listened to a story the other day about a guy who'd been with the company quite a few years and they saw his behavior hap and they were just collecting it and creating a file. And then finally, you know, that like the straw that broke the camel's back and they bring him in and they fire him. Somebody has been with this company for like from the beginning. And I'm like, I don't understand. How is it that you don't call this person in after the second time and just say to him, hey, what's going on? Like, I'm looking at you. Two times, like, there's been, wh- what is going on? He would have told you he was struggling with drugs and alcohol. Yeah. But no, you're going to wait and wait and keeps getting worse and worse, and now the file keeps getting bigger and bigger, like, I just think to myself, like, no wonder your turnover <laughs> is so high. Yeah. Like, there's no heart. Right. There's no loyalty. Like,
0: yeah, you're not invested in your people. You're just yeah. sort of waiting till that person. And then it's like,
2: well, you <laughs> know, and the the are kept getting bigger. Like, I, I, I don't, yeah. I don't understand that at mm-hmm. all. I don't understand that.
1: You know, Lavinia, this has been such a phenomenal conversation. I think on many levels. Oh. I wish we could sit here and chat with you because <laughs> yeah. your story is so inspiring. And- yeah. Yeah. It's you know the the entrepreneurial journey obviously, but more than that, it's what made you such a good entrepreneur, such a great entrepreneur was mm-hmm. that that heart. I think that that's something that people lack these days when they go into business, mm-hmm. whether they're working for someone or they're working for themselves. Is they do things without intention. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something that every person, whether you're an entrepreneur or not, listening right now. we talk about it all the time is just do things with intention even if it's the wrong thing at the end of the day and it results in something you didn't want it's fine because you can then move on you made a mistake you'll pick it up and you'll do something else but i think that doing things with purpose doing things with a vision is i think the key to whatever you do whether it's in business in life in your relationships and i think you know i personally got a lot out of this episode and i'm sure. You know our audience and Pat and everybody else did as well so um, thank you so much for you know your knowledge your experience your wisdom and uh, you know we hope that you continue to share that with you know, the rest you. of the world well,
2: yeah. thank you thanks for having me thank you